Thank you for listening, and we hope this message will strengthen and help you in your walk with God. Second Corinthians chapter, chapter 5, starting with verse 13. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on your behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance, not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of a sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge this way, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, and those who live shall live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him, thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or holding against their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now I'm going to back up here a little bit. There's a couple of things I want to share before I get into my message. Number one, you know, have you ever been to a church where, you know, the power of God comes in or the spirit of God moves and people start Boy, just be exhilarating, so hilarious and, and so exuberant in their worship. And sometimes they run around, it's like they're beside themselves. Well, that's what Paul said right there in verse 13. If we're beside ourselves, it's for God. Let me just take a moment for those who aren't accustomed to churches like that, you know, or being in a revival service where people really just get exuberant in their worship and really begin to shout and things like that. It's unto God. You know, people express, everyone has a different way of expressing their love to other people. You know, one of the things that I can't teach men is I can't teach men how to express their love towards their wife because I express my love towards my wife differently than another man expresses his love towards his wife. Does that mean he loves her less than I love my wife because he expresses it differently? Absolutely not. We all have different ways of how we respond and how we express our love and our gratitude to, to God. I share it like this, you know. Um, there's, you know, I've done a lot of remodeling and, and I've done a lot of electrical work. And there's a few times I've done some electrical work without turning off the power. And, uh, you know, a few of those times that I've done that, I've gotten shocked. Well, I've been shocked enough to know what it is. I've been shocked enough to, to experience it. It's like, oh, man, I just got shocked. I just can't believe that, you know. But for most of you, for the very first time, if you ever touch 110, you're going to go, whoa, 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 what was that? You know, you're going to think you died. You're going to think something, you know, you're going you're to express yourself differently. 
Well, everybody expresses themselves a little differently when they get into the presence of God. Someone says, that's flesh. You are absolutely right. That is your flesh reacting to the presence of God. And so Paul goes on and explains this in this particular passage. He said, you know, anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. But he says before that, he said, you know, because you're in Christ, we're not going to judge you according to the flesh. We're not going to judge you the way you shout. We're going to not going to judge you if you don't shout. Because, you know, that, that person who's sitting there very solemn could be receiving more from God than that person who's shouting. We don't know how people are receiving from God. That's between them and God. Can I hear an amen? I'm per- really teaching really good this morning. But it is biblical for people to get beside themselves. You know, I don't know if you don't understand what it means to get beside yourself. That means there's half of you that's not a part of you. Okay, you know, and he says, if we do, it's for God, you know, but if we're sober, like I'm sober right now, it's for you. So my wife, she expresses it, it's for God. When I'm sober, it's for you. That's how it works most of the time. No, I can run around. I have run around. I've been touched by God in such a way that I can't explain it, but it's been, it's happened. And so moving on here in verse uh, 17, this is where I really want to start because the Lord has really put this on my heart. And we are entering in. We have entered in, you know, the third great awakening. Now, we haven't seen it manifest in numbers yet, but it has happened. You know, these are pockets. We're a pocket of that. We're a a revival hub of that. We've experienced that. We'll be going to a minister's conference here soon where I know that Andrew Walmack's ministry, they've entered into it. And it's really exciting to have a couple hundred, maybe eight, nine hundred ministers who all have entered into it. So we have entered into that. But ten years ago, the Lord spoke to me because I was very concerned about the LGBTQ community. And we're not angry at them. We're not upset with them. We love them, but it is contrary to the word of God. And one of the things the Lord showed me, he said, he showed me that the transgender was going to take off because they are, um, uh, the LGTP community is looking for a way that they don't use same sex marriage. So if one of the women that they're married to identifies as a man, well, now it's not same-sex marriage. That's what the Lord showed me. This is why they're pushing that trans ideology as hard as they are. You know, and so that's the negative thing the Lord showed me. And I've seen this come to pass, and we were seeing it in a greater way. But one of the things the Lord showed me about this awakening that we're having, people are going to walk into this church who have been apart, who have been uh, deceived to, to live a transgender ideology, and they're going to come in here, and God's going to touch them, and they're going to come in one way, but they're going to leave totally restored by God. In fact, he told me that one of the evidence of this great way awakening is that some people are going to even been, uh, 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 I'm not sure, had a procedure done to change their gender, and they're going to repent and ask God to forgive them, and God's going to restore them. And I believe that with my heart. Have you seen it yet, Pastor? No. You know, and let me ask you, how am I going to really know unless the medical field gets involved? I'm not going to know, but I believe that with my whole heart. We're going to see a turnaround in our nation before Jesus comes back. And I believe that with my whole heart. And that's what we're contending for. You know, and one of the things that we have to understand is that we have to understand that the word of God is true. And we're going to have to get this into us because, you know, God didn't call Pastor Vicki and I to be the only one who disciples people. He's called you to go into all the world 
and make disciples of all men. And you're going to have to learn this word so that you can teach people that in Christ you're a new creature. And that's what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The King James says creature. And if you look up the definition of that, that word means original formation. Original formation. In other words, when you're in Christ, God sees you as he sees Adam and Eve before sin ever entered into their lives. Now, how, how can that be? God sees you as he sees his own son, Jesus. This is how he sees you. You're a new creation. And it says old things have passed away. This is the mindset that we're going to have to get hold of because one reason why a lot of people have a hard time receiving from God is because they don't feel like they qualify to receive from God. Has, have you ever done something for somebody just because you loved them or you just wanted to be kind to them? And they said, oh, you didn't have to do that. You know, you know I've, I've, I've caught myself saying this. I don't, I don't mean to. Usually I, I try to be quiet, but I go, I always think, but I've caught myself saying, well, I didn't. I know I didn't have to do that, but I wanted to do that. You know, why did you do that? Because I wanted to do that. I wanted to be a blessing to that particular person. I wanted to do something special with that person. You know, not because I had to. No, I wanted to. Well, the Bible tells us in Psalm 68 that God wants to load you daily with benefits. That he loads you daily with benefits. Come on, somebody, help me with this. He loads you daily with benefits. Well, I don't know about you. If God's giving out benefits daily, if you're not going to receive them, I'll receive all that I can get. Amen. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to receive God's benefits. I'm going to enjoy God's blessings in my life. And some of those benefits aren't always financial. They're not always physical. They're not always materialistically. Sometimes some of the benefits is knowing that God loves me. Just knowing that I'm accepted. Just knowing that I'm a part of his family. Just knowing that no matter what I did in the past and no matter what I'm going to do in the future, I am his child. And so it says, old things have passed away, and behold. Now, that's one of the key words in this particular scripture, behold. It means to take hold of this. It doesn't mean just take hold of it in the a mental capacity. It means to take hold of it to the po- point that it becomes a part of who you are. You take hold of it. You, you press it into you. You, you. you grab a hold of it, and you don't let go of it until it becomes who you are. Behold. All things have become new. In other words, God's seeing you as a new creature. He's seeing you in the very image of Jesus. He's seeing you without sin in your life. You're the perfect child. Hello, somebody. And if you're a child, tell your parent, did you hear what pastor said? I'm the perfect child. You're the perfect child. You are a perfect child in the eyes of God. Because of what Christ did for you. Get a hold of that. It makes receiving from God so much easier. Because the enemy tries to disqualify us. And how does he do that? He tries to disqualify us through condemnation. That's why Romans 8 one says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. What Pastor Vicky was referring to, pressing into God, getting into the presence of God, spending time in prayer with God. Why? Because when you begin to get into that place, you realize God's not condemning you. God's not here to hold something over you. 
He's not, it said there in verse 20, not imputing your sins or your trespasses against you, not holding it against you. You know, he's already paid the price. The word of God says he's already blotted out our transgressions. He's already blotted out our transgressions. What does that mean? That means that there is not a law that is written against you. Okay, do you get that? I mean, that'd be like, you know, you getting a speeding ticket. You know, maybe you did 50 in a school zone, 20 mile an hour school zone, you know. And, uh, you know, I mean, normally it's 40, and so you go 50. But it's a school zone, now it's 20. But, man, you got this huge speeding ticket because you went 30 miles over the posted, you know, speed limit. And you went to court, you know, and... And, uh, and so, anyway, uh, the judge is looking at this, and, and the uh, prosecuting, uh, prosecuting attorney is looking at this, you know. And uh, let's just say that our, our legal system will allow this to happen. And I walk up, and I go, uh, Your Honor, you know, they're guilty. Yeah, they're guilty. But I want you to put it on my record. I'm going to take it off of their record. And, and so the honor goes, and the judge goes, Okay. And I said, now that it's on my record, is there even a record of him or her violating the law? And he goes to the law and he looks at the book, uh, a book of laws, and he said, it's been blotted out. There's no law against you. Think about it. That's what it means that Jesus fulfilled the law. You know, a lot of people don't understand that. Now, that doesn't give you a license to go sin, you know, because without holiness, you can't see God. And so, but what it does is it puts you in a perspective that God loves you so much, he sees you in right standing with him. This is so important. So, you know, people ask me this all the time. Yeah, but pastor, what if I'm I'm a new Christian and, and what if I still have sin in my life? What do I do? You keep on confessing, I'm the righteousness of God. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm the righteousness of God. I always use this example. My mother was a smoker most of her life. And she called me up one day, and it was so cute. She said, now, look, I want to talk to you as my pastor, not my son. <laughs> and it was so cute that she said that to me. I said, okay. And uh, she said, look, I am really struggling with smoking. She said, I've tried. I've done everything I, I know to do to quit smoking. You know, I've been to doctors. I've done everything I know to do. I said, Here, here's what you need to do, Mom. First of all, I said, forget about it. Quit letting it condemn you. And I said, and every time you pick up a cigarette, you just confess, you know, I'm delivered from these things. I'm delivered from these things. I'm delivered from these things. You know, and I said, the other thing, of course, you have to know my mom. I said, mom, look, my mom went back to school at 40 years old and we moved and she traveled uh, 60 miles one way to go to college and got her degree in four years and graduated with some, you know, honors. Okay. And I told my mom, I said, Mom, if you can do that, surely you can quit smoking. What was I trying to get her to do? Focus on the things that she has achieved. See, condemnation gets you to focus on the things you haven't achieved. You know, I've written a book here recently, and in one of my books I talked about when I was a JV coach. And we were uh, scheduled to play a varsity team. We're junior varsity scheduled to play a varsity team. 
And so, you know, we're playing this team, and we were neck to neck the whole game. I mean, you know, it was just one or two points difference. And it finally got to the place where the varsity team was five points ahead of us, and we had about two minutes. And I said, time out. So I told the guys, I said, this is what we're going to do. What we're going to do is that I'm going to have you foul the opponent because I knew that a good high school student probably shot 60% from the free throw line. And so instead of giving them an opportunity to score two points, I'm only going to give them an opportunity to score one point, and there's a good chance they'll miss both of them, and we'll get the rebound and get another opportunity. And so I had my, my point guard. I said, everybody feed the ball to my point guard. I want you to shoot three-pointers, nothing but three-pointers. He wasn't a great three-pointer shooter, but he can make a few of them. And so sure enough, they went down, they fouled, you know, and, and the guy missed two points, and they took it back, and we're on offense, and he shoots, and he misses. They go back down, they foul, they shoot again, maybe they scored a point. But eventually what happened is that my point guard made two points, and that was six points, which won the game, okay? And so we're shouting, we're rejoicing, we're just thanking God, and we're just so, you know, the man, our JV team beat a varsity team. I mean, that's a big thing, you know. But what would have happened if my point guard would have said, but do you see how many three points I missed? Well, if he would have focused on that, you know, he would have gone home depressed. No, we won the game. It doesn't matter how many you miss. What matters is that you won the game. Well, here's the key. No matter how many times you've missed it, no matter what, with Christ, you've won the game. That's what you have to understand. You're a winner in this life. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new again. And then here in verse 21, it says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, that's the next step to enter into this new creation is knowing that you're in right standing with God. That's what righteousness means. It means to be in right standing with God. You are the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus said, I've already paid for it, just like I explained to you. Your sins your, have been blotted out. Your transgressions have been blotted out. The price has already been paid for your mistakes. Why do you want to go back and pay for them a second time? Hmm? Why would you, you know, if somebody came and said, hey, I paid all your taxes, would you go to the government and say, hey, I need to pay my taxes? I mean, if someone paid all your taxes and gave you a receipt and it said all your taxes are paid and you called them up and said, all my taxes paid? And they said, yes. Well, I need to pay my taxes. Now, I don't think taxes is a penalty, but think about it. Would you go back and try to pay it a second time? Why would you try to go back and pay for your mistakes when they've already been paid for? It doesn't make sense, does it? You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't go back and try to pay taxes if somebody already paid for your taxes, would you? Well, the same thing is about sin. You shouldn't go feel like you have to pay for your sins. Your sins have already been paid for. All right, so if your taxes have been paid, then don't you have a right as a citizen to enjoy those taxes? Well, then if your sins have already been paid for, don't you have a right to enjoy being a citizen of heaven? Sure got quiet in this Pentecostal church. I'm telling you what, this gets me all excited knowing that God put me in right standing with him. He paid for it so I can be in right standing with him. Now, John 1, 12 says this. As many as received him, he gave them the power, it says, in King James. The new King James says the right 
to become the sons of God. And one of the words in the Amplified Bible, it says it like this. I want, you to, I want us to show on the screen here real quick what it says in the Amplified Bible. I believe I got it in my notes. John 1, 12. But as many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the authority, the power, and the privilege, and the right to become children of God. That is to those who believe in and hear to and trust and rely on his name. In other words, you have the privilege now as a believer in Christ to be a child of God. Now, when you're a real little child, real, real, real little, real young, a, a very small child, you're so dependent on your parents, aren't you? In fact, you know, you couldn't make it without your parents. And the Bible tells us it's this childlike faith that God's looking for. What is childlike faith? Becoming more dependent on God. Knowing that God will always be there. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He has received you as one of his own. In fact, the word of God tells us in Ephesians that by the spirit of adoption, he has called you one of his own. Now, if you understand the law in the Old Testament, if you adopted a child, that child, and sometimes it's true even of our, in our legal system, that adopted child actually has more rights than your natural born child. Most people don't realize that. You can dis disown your natural born children, but once you adopt a child, you can never legally disown that child. You're responsible for that child. You know, and that's, a, that's an Old Testament law, and that is some, uh, some of our legal system is even a, a law part of some of our legal system. And so therefore, you know, God doesn't violate his law. And you are just as much his child as his own son, Jesus. And that's what it means. Not only, you know, as many as received him, he gave them the power to be sons of God. He gave them the privilege. Not only the right, but the privilege. Do you think Jesus goes without? How many of you think the Son of God went without? Now, come on, let's think about it. Didn't he turn some fish and loaves to feed 5,000 people? Is that a God of more than enough? Did he go without? Obviously, he did not go without. Obviously, he had more than enough because he was a child of God. Well, are you a child of God? Absolutely. Don't you have the same privileges? Absolutely you do. Don't you have the same right? Absolutely you do. And so when we look at that word right and we compare it to the word righteousness, that's another meaning of the word righteousness. It means it gives you the right or the privilege to receive what all other children of God are receiving. Have you ever looked at another believer and think, man, I sure wish I could have what they have? You ever done that? Come on, let's be real. I've done it. Man, I sure wish I could have what they have. Well, you know what? You can. You know, they're no, they're, they're no more blessed by God than you are. But the difference is that they have a greater revelation of knowing that they're a child of God. I remember I was talking to the Lord. I wasn't complaining, but I was talking to the Lord about, you know, a minister who's very, very well-to-do, very, very blessed. And I was, I, I was just talking to God about that. I said, now, God, how come... You know, what's going on in their life that's not going on in my life that I'm not seeing what they're seeing in their ministry or in their life? 
He said, because he knows me as, my, as his personal father. He said, if you'll get to know me as your personal father, you'll see more of my goodness in your life. Boy, I just, that, that's when I just went, I'm going after it, man. Amen. You're my father. You know, I'm going to talk to you every day. You know, and uh, I had a natural father. And, of course, he, he lived by uh, natural circumstances. He didn't know God like we know God, you know. Um, and so he didn't know how to teach me. But, you know, there were times, you know, I would tell my dad, you know, Dad, I'd really like to have this. He said, well, someday we'll help you get that. I'll never forget, you know, I wanted a motorcycle. And I told my dad I wanted a motorcycle. And so the next week my dad went up and bought me a motorcycle. You know, that's pretty cool, isn't it? You know, well, the Bible says if your natural dads know how to give you good gifts, how much more does your spiritual father, your heavenly father? You know, I knew my father well enough that if I asked him that there was a real possibility that I might get this, you know. But that was my natural thinking based on my father living in the natural realm. But in the spiritual realm, with my heavenly father, there's no, I might get this. It's already, hey, I'm going to load you daily with benefits. Amen. It's not, do you want a motorcycle, son? It's how many motorcycles do you want? Come on, somebody. See, we have a hard time wrapping our heads around that because we're so inundated by the culture and what's in the world. We need to get into this relationship that God put us in right standing with him and gave us these unalienable rights as children of God to receive all of his goodness for our lives. Am I doing okay this morning? So tell your neighbor, you're the righteousness of God. You're the righteousness of God. Now, go with me to Romans chapter 4. And we're going we're gonna to look at an average person here who started out average, but ended up being the father of the faith called Abraham. How many of you know that Abraham started out average? Hmm? He was just another ordinary man. So how did he get where... You know, he became the father of many nations. Well, we're going to see this here. Romans chapter 4, starting with verse 13. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law. And that's important. I'm going to explain that here in just a minute. In a minute. But through the righteousness, there's that word again, of faith. Okay. So, in other words, it wasn't based on his performance. That's what it means through the law. But because, and we're going to see this in a moment, we're going to see it in Genesis, and we're also going to see it here in a moment here in Romans. But because Abraham believed, as many as believe, hmm, as many as believe, as many as believe, he gave them the right to become the sons of God. Because Abraham believed, he had this encounter with God. Because he believed, he was put in right standing with God. And as a result of being put in right standing with God, then that which he was believing God for manifested. That's what the righteousness of faith is. In other words, you need to know for your faith to really operate at its fullest level, you need to know that you are the righteousness of God. Tell your other neighbor you're the righteousness of God. You're in as much right standing with God as Jesus is. In fact, you're so much in right standing with God, the Bible says you're seated with him in heavenly places. Now, if you weren't in right standing with God, would he have you sit next to him? Would you be seated with him? Would you be seated with Christ if you weren't in right standing? Absolutely not. You wouldn't, there wouldn't be a seat at the table for you. 
But there is a seat at the table for you. You are seated with him because you are in right standing with God. And for verse 14, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and a promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace. Now, let's just stop right there. How many of you know what I'm wearing today? Favor. How many of you have favor? Okay. You know, grace and favor is the exact same thing. Anytime you see the word grace, you might as well put favor in there because that's what it means. It means unlimited or unmerited favor of God. That's exactly what it means. So you can put the word favor there. I love putting the word favor there because I know I'm God's favor right. I know if God's going to do anything, he's going to do it for me. You know, I don't doubt that God can do everything that he says he can do. In fact, I know he's going to do it for me. I know I'm going to see God do some great things. I know I'm going to see great exploits. You know, look, I've not seen anything yet. The prophetic word that Brother Jerry said, he said, your best days aren't behind you, they're ahead of you. And I'm thinking, dear Lord, we've seen some great things. I mean, you know, I don't have time to tell you all the goodness of God. But man, I've been walking in the favor of God, the goodness of God. Like my wife said, this place is paid for. That's a supernatural act of God. That we have 37 acres and everything that's paid for in this house. It's supernatural what God's done in our lives, you know. And my best is not behind me. It's ahead of me. Glory to God. I got something to look for. Amen. Amen. And so do you. Therefore, it's of faith that might be according to the favor of God or the favor that's on my life so that the promise might be sure to all seen. Now, how many of you know that Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 tells us that we are the seed of Abraham by our faith in Christ Jesus? All right, so this applies not only to the Jewish people, but also applies to those who are believers in Christ. All right, so whatever God promised Abraham and his descendant, I'm a part of. I'm a part of that. Not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. Let's stop right there and look at that. What did Abraham do? He must have somehow, some way, gotten in the presence of God. God came to him, or however, he got in the presence of God. And see, this is the key. We shouldn't have to, as believers, we shouldn't have to wait on to get in the presence of God because the Bible says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and grace in time of need. In other words, we shouldn't be waiting on God when we have an open invitation to the throne of God. You know, why does God have this open invitation for you to come to his throne? Because he wants you in his presence. And it was when Abraham was in his presence that God spoke to Abraham and said, Hey, I'm going to raise you up to be a great nation. Where did it happen that God spoke to Abraham that he was going to raise him up to be a great nation? In the presence of God. Why are you waiting for God to baptize you in his presence when you can get into his presence any time, any day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week? We shouldn't, have to, we shouldn't have to be waiting on God. We should just go ahead and just enter into his presence. It says, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may attain grace and mercy in time of need. So you can receive that favor and you can receive the very mercy of God knowing that God loves you and his mercy endures forever. And then it goes on. It says, in the presence of him whom you believe, God, who gives life 
to the dead and calls things that which do not exist as though they did. Now, that's a little tricky how to interpret who's really saying what here. I believe it's God who gives life to the dead and calls things to be not as though they are. But I also believe he's empowered me to be able to do the same thing. In other words, if, if God said it and I say it, then God's going to bring it to pass. God's going to bring to pass everything that he said. And how's he going to bring it to pass? Well, one way is by me getting in agreement with him. God said this. God said this. God said this. So obviously, Abraham got in agreement with God by saying, you know what? God, he's going to bring life to the dead. Well, when we read this, what was considered dead was Abraham and Sarah. You know, Abraham and Sarah, they were pretty old to have a child at this particular time. In fact, you know, medically and biologically speaking, they couldn't have a child at this particular time. In other words, their reproductive organs were dead. But God called life into a dead situation. And we know that as a result of that, God gave him the promised child, Isaac. And then verse 18 says, Who, contrary to hope, in hope believed. Who was that? That was Abraham. In other words, everything said in the natural realm, this can't happen, this can't happen, this can't happen. But you know what? Abraham said it can't happen. How come Abraham could say it happened? Now, wait a minute. Let's just back up and talk about Abraham for just a moment. You know, Abraham was a Chaldean, and he was called out of the land of Ur. And all of a sudden, God visited him and says, I'm going to make him a, 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 a father of many nations. So, you know, and Abraham's like, well, you know, how, how's this going to happen? You know, how am I going to be a father of many nations? You know, and God said, you know, basically, just listen to what I tell you, and I will go ahead and perform my word. And what was the one of the things that Abraham had to do? He had to stay where he was at. In other words, you know, if you read the Bible, it says, by Isaac said, you know, there was a severe drought, not the drought of Abraham. You know, don't you love what Pastor Vicky's saying? You know, she's saying, hey, something bad might happen, but you don't have to go through it. I mean, you might walk through it, but it doesn't have to affect you, just like Paul on the ship. Okay, well, Abraham had to stay during drought. What happened as a result of being obedient to what God told him to do? God blessed Abraham, didn't he? What was the result of what God uh, happened to Isaac? Because Isaac listened to God. Isaac was going to go down to Egypt. And Isaac and the Lord said, no, stay here. And Isaac sowed in the midst of a drought. And he received, what, just a few little kernels afterwards? No, a hundredfold. Okay? And so there is a time that we have to stand. And sometimes we do go through things. There will be other things that go on around us. But, you know, he who endures, Matthew chapter uh, 24, verse 13 says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. In other words, we're going to see the salvation of the Lord if we don't quit believing. And we're going to receive the salvation of the Lord if we don't quit believing. Why? Because we're the righteousness of God. Because he believed. Abraham believed no matter where God puts me. Abraham believed the promise of God so much that when God spoke to him and said, go slay your only son, Abraham said, okay, I will because I know you gave me a promise I'm going to be a father of many nations and somehow I'm going to see a miracle. That's how much Abraham believed God. And God said, you know what? Listen, now I know that you're, I can use you to be the father of many nations. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so they became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. How did Abraham increase his hope? Hope gives direction to your faith. 
Hope gives direction to your faith. Okay, so you know God says, hey, I want to do something for you. Go, I hope so. But how did he increase his hope? It says it right there. According to which was spoken. He listened. He rehearsed. If you want to increase your hope in the things of God, read the word of God over and over and over again. You don't have to read the whole Bible in a day. You know, maybe you get a promise or two, but begin to meditate on that promise. Begin to dwell on that promise. Begin to speak out of that promise. God, you said, if you want to be delivered from something, just say this, you know, God, you said that, you know, you've delivered me from darkness into his light. If you want to be delivered from something, God, you said that you've given me power, all power over the power of the enemy, and by no means shall anything harm me. You know, begin to speak what God said. Begin to declare what God says. Begin to put your hope and your trust in the word of God, and it shall come to pass. And that's what he did. And not being weak in faith, so he got his hope built up. And as a result of his hope built up, his faith began to increase. And so not being weak in faith, he did not consider his body. Was his body able to produce at that time? No. But you know, the miracle of this thing is not only did he have Isaac, but after uh, Sarah died, you know, he married again, and he had several more children. Now, that's going exceedingly abundantly above, don't you think? Amen. God promised him Isaac, but then he ended up having more children besides Isaac. You know, and that's the key to receiving from God, knowing that you're in right standing, and that God doesn't just want to bless you one time. He wants you to have a lifestyle of blessing. He wants you to have a life of blessing. That's why, you know, when it, when it says that, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. The word life is Zoe there. It means God's kind of life, and abundantly means beyond measure. God wants to bless you where one day you try to count everything that you have, and you can't because it just keeps on increasing and increasing and increasing and increasing. Yes. That's the kind of life that God wants to bless you with. Are you doing okay this morning? So he didn't consider he didn't consider, you know, what he had experienced for the last 99 years. Now, how many of you, if you've walked through something for 99 years, you would say, well, it's starting to weigh on me. I'm not really sure this can come to pass. But yet he didn't consider that. He did not consider his own body, already dead since he was about 100 years old, nor did he consider Sarah. Now, this is so important. Because the righteousness of God is not going to make an excuse. Well, if it wasn't for so-and-so. Hmm? There's no man, there's no devil, and there's no government that can stop God's plan for your life. Well, you, you, don't, you don't know my circumstances. Well, I don't need to know your circumstances. You don't need to be dwelling on your circumstances. You don't need to be pointing at somebody else's fault. You need to be looking at the word of God. And, you know, Abraham didn't go around, well, you know, this barren woman you gave me, God. I don't know how you're going to do this. I mean, okay, I can believe for myself, but I can't believe for her. No, he didn't consider it. He didn't talk about it. You know, I don't know what he did, but he probably went around saying, well, let's go ahead and, you know, build an extra room under the tent, Sarah. Let's prepare a nursery. Because we're going to have a son. You know, he prepared himself by not considering. He didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief. 
but he was strengthened in faith. How? By praising God. God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, I'm delivered from this. I thank you, Lord, I'm healed of this. I thank you, Lord, that I'm an overcomer in this life. I thank you, Lord, that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. I give you glory for this, God. I give you praise. This is what your word says. Your word says that I can walk in divine health. Glory to God. I thank you, God, for that. Well, you keep on saying that until it begins to manifest in your life. Keep on saying what God says until it becomes manifest in your life. You know, and just like I told my mom with that cigarette uh, smoking habit that she had, I said, every time you light a cigarette, I say, thank you, God, I'm delivered from this. What did she do? She increased her faith to the point where she called me up and said, guess what? I quit smoking. And she didn't smoke anymore after that. Why? Because she got her mind off of what she was doing that was wrong and got her mind on what God said she could have. And that's the key right there. That's what the righteousness of God does for you. Didn't waver. And then verse 21 says, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. How many of you know that God is more than able to do all that he said he wants to do in your life? He's able to perform. He is able to do all these things, not only for other people, but for you also. Tell your neighbor he's talking about you. And therefore, because of these things, it was accounted to him for, you see it? Righteousness. In other words, God's saying, if you want to experience my righteousness, all you need to do is just believe my word. That's all you got to do. All you got to do is believe if I said it, I'll do it. I will perform those things which I said I'm going to do. I'm going to fulfill those things that I said I'm going to do. I'm going to complete those things that I said I'm going to do. You know, some, someone said to me one day, well, what if I miss God and God didn't really say this? Well, let me ask you something. Would you rather die not believing God can do it? Or would you rather die believing God can do it? Man, I'm going for the gusto. Amen. I'm going for the best. I'm going for the most. I'm going for all that God has for me. I, I don't know about you, but I'm going for everything that God has for me. And then verse 23, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. You know, this was written for you and me. Abraham started out just a normal guy. Just a normal guy, just like you and me. But what did he do? In the presence of God, he got a word from God. And he said, you know what? I'm going to believe that word. And you know what? It doesn't matter if I am 99 years old and my wife's 90 years old. I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to think about God's promise. You know, I imagine he went around thinking, well, I wonder what color Isaac's hair is going to be. I wonder what color his eyes are going to be. I wonder how tall he'll be. I wonder this. I wonder that. Begin to dwell on what God can do for you, not what God hasn't done for you. And you know what? It'll be counted to you as the righteousness of God. It'll put you in right standing to receive what God wants to do for you. Can I hear an amen in this house? That's God's plan for your life. So it wasn't written for just for him, but it was written for us. It shall be imputed to us that who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up for our justification. Now this justification parallels Right along with the word righteousness. 
Justification means, as it says in Romans 3.24, how he freely justified you. Justification is not an act of something you earn. Justification is something you receive. He justified you. Now, the best layman term for it, it means more than this. It's deeper than this, but just as if you never sinned. He justified you. He put you in a place. It's more as if you never sinned. It's, it's just as if there was never sin. That sin was ever recorded. That never existed. That's what real justification is. And so not only has he made you the righteousness of God, but he has justified you. In other words, you know, the enemy comes and says, you don't have a right to be blessed by God. And God goes, oh, yes, he does. Oh, yes, you do. Why? Because he believes me. Well, what gives you the right to believe that God can bless you? I believe God. What gives you the right to believe that you can be an overcomer in this life? I believe God. What, believes, what gives you the right, you know, to be blessed? I believe God. What gives you the right to think that, you know, God is not holding your sin against you? I believe God. That's what gives me the right. God justified me. God gave me the right to receive his righteousness so that I can walk in the fullness and, and all the blessings that God has for my life. How about you? Amen. Glory to God. So what are some of the benefits of, of being uh, righteous or the blessings of being righteous? I'm going to share this next week. I'm going to share some of the blessings of being righteous. Well, one of them is James 5.16. It says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. The effective, fervent prayer of who? Who is that? That's me. That's me. Tell your neighbor he's talking about me. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know what that means? That means everything that God has is made available to you. Wow. Isn't that exciting? In other words, your prayers are so effective because you're the righteousness of God or you're in right standing with him that everything that you pray, everything that God has is made available to you. Thank you for listening today. We believe God's word is what will sustain us in any situation in our lives. For more information, please visit us at familywc.org or you can download the app. Look for us as FWC Como. Until the next time, remember, you are God's best.